0: Wild Missions Original Podcast. Maybe you're driving on a road right now. Even if you're not, you're probably not that far from a road. Because roads are everywhere. It's hard to imagine a modern world without roads. And whilst they enable people like us to go almost anywhere in the world, they're also the great enabler for the many threats facing wildcats today, such as deforestation, poaching, and of course, roadkill. What we don't talk about, though, is how the roads themselves divide our precious planet into millions of tiny pieces, irreversibly splitting up populations of wildlife. So in this episode, we'll hear about the impact of roads on wild cats and some of the innovative solutions to make roads a whole lot more cat-friendly. I'm Andy Varvel, and this is Cats of the Wild, episode 30, Road Ecology.
1: Hello, I'm Professor Daryl Jones from Griffith University in Brisbane in Australia.
0: He's also the author of the new book, a cloud of leopard in the middle of the road. It's
1: a global look at all the things that roads do terribly for biodiversity and how we can overcome that and some of the great things that are happening around the world.
0: Daryl has been working in urban ecology for over 30 years.
1: I've been looking at urbanisation and, you know, what happens when we build suburbs and we'll pull down the bush and what happens to the animals and who copes and who doesn't cope. The interactions between humans and nature in a general sense, all that type of stuff.
0: And then one day darrell was invited as the token scientist to a project that was doubling the width of a local road and he was asked what could be done to reduce the impact to wildlife
1: i had absolutely no idea about that at all but i was you know i was, wasn't was going to knock away the chance to try and contribute something to this and that was like a baptismal fire into the strange world of roads because the people who build roads pretty much have free reign you know because roads are so important we just put them in, slap them down over the landscape and never even think about it because all we are preoccupied with doing is jumping in our car and going, from made to be in the shortest possible time, in the straightest possible line. And I've come to realise roads are invisible and yet they are probably the largest human artefact on the planet. It's, it's visible from space. They are utterly gigantic. It's a network that goes everywhere. Us people who built the roads are preoccupied with just traveling on them. We don't even think about them. But from everything else on the planet's perspective, roads just divide up the whole world into tiny little bits. Everywhere you go, no matter where you are on the planet, if you were an animal or a human, you walk in any direction, you'll hit a road somewhere. It's like a fungus growing over the surface of the road until everything's covered in it. This was a true revelation to me, one of those when you suddenly picture... The landscape, not as the green parts, but as the green parts divided up into little bits. It's a really horrifying feeling, a a realization to realize just how fragmented the landscape is now. If it's a tiny dirt road in the middle of the bush, it's probably not much of a problem. But if it's a six-lane highway, you can't get across. And so roads have fragmented the landscape and they're continuing to grow and growing at an exponential rate. And they're growing in places in the developing world. So Asia and Africa and South America and all those sorts of places where there's a lot less control and a lot less strictures on what you can do. And so the biggest damage is going on in places that we don't even know about or hear about. So that was my perspective. It it suddenly changed. Ah, these roads that are pretty much invisible to us as we drive along them are having a devastating effect. Is there anything we can do about it? And that's really where I
0: started my journey. One example of this is actually the inspiration behind the title of Darrell's book, a clouded leopard in the middle of the road. The Bornean clouded leopard, a subspecies of the Sunda clouded leopard, is native to the island of Borneo in Southeast Asia. Borneo's wildlife is threatened with poaching and deforestation, and Darrell was lucky enough to lead a trip of university students to Borneo each year. There was just
1: about 18 of them, three members of staff, and I would take them and be paid to do this. to take these students who are super keen ecologists, for the first time probably overseas, to the depths of the jungle in Borneo. And we went to a place called Maliao Basin, which is extraordinary because it was only discovered in the 1980s. It's right in the middle of the Malaysian state of Sabah, up the top part of Borneo. And it, it's literally untouched rainforest. It's, it's probably the place on the planet where it's less likely that there's been people there than any other place that you can imagine. Now, thankfully, the Malaysian government recognized it's this unique quality, and it's got a special conservation reserve status now. So it's an amazing place. So to get there, though, you've got to travel through about 50 kilometers of a terrible dirt, muddy road from the main east-west highway that cuts across the whole of Borneo. And so the way we would get there, we would travel to the capital of Kota Kinabalu, grab a bus and then travel most of the day and get dropped off at the gate outside the National Park there. And then we would wait for the big four-wheel drive trucks which work at the station to drive down the muddy track and pick us up. Depending on how quick we were or how slow they were or something like that, there was always a maybe an hour or two of waiting for the four-wheel drive trucks to come and pick us up and take us back into the jungle. And so we would just be sitting there and, and lots of occasions, you know, the students are really excited, they've finally got to Borneo and they'd be saying things like, So what are we going to see? Will we see, you know, orangutans? Unfortunately, this is not a place where you can see orangutans. So no, we won't see orangutans. We'll see all eight species of hornbills, you know, it's very exciting. And somebody said, I was reading about this animal called a clouded leopard and I went, no, okay. This is one of the rarest animals in the world. Forget all about seeing a clouded leopard. And then I looked up and this is, this is an absolutely true story. Standing about 80 metres away from us in the middle of the road. It was a clouded leopard. Now, at that stage, the road was just a track, a muddy track, with the rainforest, you know, over the top. It was like a tunnel going through the rainforest. And this animal just calmly stood, looked at
0: us, and then disappeared into the dusk. These students were incredibly lucky to have a sighting like that. And then, exactly one year later, Darrell returned again, with next year's cohort of students.
1: There we are at the gate. Instead of a narrow, muddy track with the canopy of the rainforest meeting above it, in like a tunnel through the gleam It was now a hundred metre wide passageway with a two lane concrete road going directly through the middle. And it had been cleared back 50 metres on either side of this road. It was a gigantic, absolutely tragic, work bring tears to your eyes revelation that I went well no clouded leopard is ever going to cross that path and so almost nothing else it was a path of utter destruction and this was a road built by the government to encourage people to go into this untouched rainforest this is how they were making it more accessible because the problem was and it was true the road in was very inaccessible but now it was this appalling scar It's still there will never recover it'll never recover from that and now we worry about you know all the illegal activities that could go on there it's impossible to patrol a place like that and keep the, the wrong sort of people out of there you know it just leads to all the problems that roads occur and so that's why it's the m- central motif for the book and the, and the title for the book because well I saw a clouded leopard in the middle of the road but it's not going to be there anymore because well you know what happens to those clouded leopards now so it's a very I guess poignant and realistic look of what's going on with roads around the
0: world that's why I used the image unfortunately stories like this are everywhere and it's only relatively recently that we've begun to seriously look at the impact of roads on wildlife from a whole lot of different perspectives the term road ecology really only formally began in 2003 following the publication of a book titled you guessed it road ecology
1: there was a little bit of work before that but that was kind of a There's a really glaring need here, and this is the important part about this. Road ecology is probably the most multidisciplinary scientific field there is because it's got to have scientists, road engineers, the people who decide on roads being built in the first place, local governments, national governments, state governments, consultants, people who study the movement of water because roads also affect the flow of water through the landscape. All those kinds of people all have to be on the same page and understand why these things are being done. And so it's very multidisciplinary and and that's been the success is that the organizations which road ecologists belong to are all completely about, not just hiding their wonderful results in a scientific journal somewhere, but pleading with people, I've just done this study, here's something that's going to affect the way that you design your next road. Please, you know, please, please, I'm willing, I'm happy to share this stuff. So it's a, it's a very sharing, trying to get every bit of information we can that we think is relevant out to the, the people who would need to hear it.
0: When we think about the impact on roads on wildlife and wildcats, one of the first threats that comes to mind is roadkill. We've all seen it and unknowingly or knowingly, we've all probably killed a few animals driving our cars too. A study in 2021 titled Conservation Threats from Roadkill in the Global Road Network identified four species from a target group of 70 that could become locally extinct within 50 years if current roadkill levels persist, including the leopard in some regions of North India and the northern tiger cat in western Santa Catarina of Brazil.
1: So the thing that people do notice, and it's a horrifying thing to see, is all the dead dead animals on the road. In places where the species may be of value or interest or historical reason or something, like the koalas at the moment in Australia, koalas are a big deal. And people, if they see dead koalas on the road, it's absolutely horrifying. But you don't usually see the dead animals on the road. I mean, majority of animals that get hit on the road don't stay on the road. They sort of stagger off and die outside the road. A minority of them are killed outright. So what is truly horrifying is that there are dead and injured animals Drifting off where they're not seen into the bush on the other side and dying a horrible death later on. But of course animals, especially anything that's sizable, is causing an accident. You know, it's a, the people in the car are going to be affected. They may be killed by hitting a, a large kangaroo or a, you know, a camel out in the outback or something like that. So there's the impact on the animals themselves and there's the impact on the people in the car. And both of those things are equally important and need to be always considered. The the historic, and and it's still prominent, the view is that lots of animals dead on the road is a sample of the animals that are out in the forest in that part of the world, You know wherever you are. And so lots of dead kangaroos means, oh, that's good. That means that there's lots of kangaroos in this area. That's actually a good sign. But it's definitely not as simple as that because the reasons for animals being killed on the road is they're trying to cross the road or they're attracted to the road because there might be green foraging along the side of the road or well, there are other dead animals that they're interested in eating because you might be a scavenger or a, some sort of predator carnivore or something that's going to feed on the dead kangaroos and wallabies on the side of the road. So it's never just as simple as a sample of the abundance of the animals in the vicinity.
0: Like the story of the cloud and leopard earlier, some animals are unlikely to even cross a road, particularly if it is a busy road or a highway. I was amazed to read in the book that there's even many species of birds, particularly small forest-dwelling species, They just aren't used to flying across wide, open gaps without any trees. Wildcats in many areas play an ambassadorial role in conservation efforts, assisting in the conservation of other species and habitats. And it's a role wildcats can continue to play to advocate for wildlife-friendly road design.
1: That is going to draw attention to the plight of those animals because of the road that's gone through there. And and you wouldn't think that the road itself would affect a big animal like that, but all large predators and most of the predatory cats are like this they're all solitary they will have they require in order to survive really big home ranges they must be able to move vast distances we don't have any idea how much room a clouded leopard would be but it's a big animal and it would need to move a long way and so that's where it comes in straight away because if you've gathered the the impression that i tried to get right at the beginning about how the road network has divided up the landscape all around us and then you try and place upon that a map of the home ranges of the of the wild cats that need to move through the landscape you suddenly realize those animals have got a really big problem because all of them are going to because they've moved so far every day looking for their prey they are inevitably going to come across roads everywhere and they will either become road till or more likely because nearly all the cats Are very reluctant to be seen they'll just keep away from the road and if the traffic's too much they will never cross across the road and the road won't just be a gap in the landscape it might as well be a brick wall that they'll never go anywhere near if there's too much too much traffic or or the space is too wide for them
0: it's at this intersection that road ecology is super interesting to me how can we design our road infrastructure to allow wildlife to freely move across the landscape whilst minimizing the impact of roadkill to both people and wildlife. One solution is a wildlife crossing. It can be as simple as a small tunnel under a road that small animals can pass through, right through to multi-million dollar overpasses over huge highways. Construction getting underway today on the new wildlife crossing over the 101 freeway. It's being built as the world's largest wildlife crossing for mountain lions and other animals caught in Southern California's urban sprawl. The groundbreaking took place a day
1: after a mountain lion was struck and killed on the 405 freeway in the Sepulveda Pass early Thursday morning.
0: Animals living in
1: Singapore central catchment nature reserve just got a little help to cross a road. The Monday Wildlife Bridge opening next month will help connect parts of the reserve for the first time in six decades. seven and a half million dollars for a bridge to allow animals to cross the road. The Mona Vale Road duplication between Mona Vale and Terry Hills includes Sydney's first wildlife overpass. The best thing you can do is build an overpass now the overpasses are really big structures they're like an artificial hill that goes over the road not like a tunnel under the road and of course that's a big that's a big complicated thing to design it's required a whole new generation of engineers to come up with tricky and clever ways to put all that soil across the road because you don't want it falling down any time and that none of them have so far so so far that's working but the most studied overpass in the world is the one right next to my university in Griffith, in Brisbane, called Compton Road Overpass. It's not just soil. It now has 30-meter like trees growing on the top, which is exactly what you want. But a tree doesn't weigh a little amount, and, and you don't want trees falling off in a storm onto the road below. So, you know, it's a living landscape. What you want is a, a continuation of the forest on either side, planted in such a way that the animals will cross. They'll go up a rise and down the road on the other side and not even realise that they're actually in an artificial vegetated landscape. And that's exactly what we've got now. So a vegetated overpass is just planting the the overpass between the forest on either side so that eventually, after a few years, it comes to resemble exactly the habitat on either side so that the animals don't even realise that they're crossing anything
0: artificial. There's also some smart solutions using cameras, AI and other technologies to reduce the likelihood of roadkill. In Taiwan, cameras detect the presence of leopard cats using an AI image recognition model and then play sounds and flashing lights to deter the cat from crossing the road. In Australia, similar techniques are being employed to get drivers to slow down and pay attention to native wildlife crossing a road.
1: It's been going for about a year and a half now, maybe even two years by now, in Brisbane for koalas. So there's a real black spot where they couldn't put up fences because we really wanted the animals to cross the road, but we wanted to slow the traffic down. The biggest challenge of all, forget about politicians or changing the ideas of road engineers, the hardest thing of all to change is the behavior of individual motorists. So we tried a whole lot of things with these smart signs. These smart signs would detect the presence of a koala, which is a very distinctive shape, doesn't look like anything else. And it would it would flash a road, so it would come along and say, koala ahead, as you drove down the road, koala ahead, koala ahead, koala ahead, about 100 meters on a big track. And if that didn't change your behavior, it was the fact that in the middle of the koala-ahead sign was a picture of your number plate. Your number plate. And it says, koala-ahead, your number plate and how fast you're going. And that had a massive impact because that means, heck, they know exactly how fast I'm going and that slowed everybody down. So that's still experimental, but that's going to have a really big effect. So that's that's clever clever science. We have no idea with AI and the cleverness that that can do. We'd have no idea. The
0: sky's the limit on no that one. That that will, be, that will be all sorts of crazy things. But behind smart AI cameras and engineering marvels, the core principle behind any successful road ecology project is people. It's about how you can bring politicians, local residents, engineers and environmentalists together to design solutions that can benefit everyone. In Daryl's book, He's included a fictional story about the construction of a road through an important wildlife and indigenous area in Arizona, USA, to demonstrate how this could just work. That
1: story is about getting together all the different sides of the equation. I, it was a challenge to write because it was really about how to do road ecology properly. Now that's a boring topic, you know. So so we, we actually got people that I knew and used words that they used themselves in a narrative where we all got together. And talked about a really major real-world problem about how to put a road through a very sensitive area and my point about that was having all the different perspectives the perspective of the in this case the indigenous people who lived in the area but also the local townspeople who were going to be affected by the road and they needed a road for commercial reasons for the people who were responsible for making sure that there's not more road fatalities. for the global conservationists who are really concerned about a road going through and the road designers and the people who are making decisions about spending large amounts of money on a new road, and then the and the road ecologists who were advocating for lots of wildlife crossings. So all these people around one table, that's the only way it works. Unless you do that, you've just got adversarial yelling names at each other and, you know, you bastards are just destroying the environment. You people, you greenies have no idea what you're talking about. We need more roads. It's only when we cooperate at a really deep level and understand what the other people are saying. That we understand why it's going on, and so the very best examples, and Compton Road is one of them, and I just happened to be involved in it. it. wasn't anything to do with me; it was to do with the personalities of the people on the other side of the table. Because I just thought when we first started talking about Compton Road, I thought this is going nowhere. These road engineers are just hardcore; they don't care about animals. Well, as as if to prove me completely wrong, the road engineer in charge of the whole project for Compton Road came out and said, "I spent the weekend out at Compton Road, and that." is such a beautiful landscape our new road must not affect it in any way and she almost said the opposite of what i was expecting to say she blew my stereotypes out of the water and that was where it began because she was said i understand why you people want to protect this habitat i want you to realize that we have to build this road because the, the number of people living in this vicinity has gone through the roof there's a lot more cars and vehicles now we have to build a new road but let's get together and make sure this road has no effect on the wildlife as much as we can. And in fact, I make the claim she said in, in public, the new road will have less effect than the original road, which is pretty a big statement to make. And she was, she was exactly right because we've, we've reduced roadkill on the road completely to nil. And yet the animals can move across the road completely safely be over that overpass and the three underpasses that are there as well.
0: Talking to people, listening to people and working with people is not only the cornerstone of road ecology, it's the heart of all conservation. Conservation is as much a social science as it is a natural science.
1: I'm an ecologist who didn't even think about people at all, but when you become an urban ecologist, you suddenly realise that, hey, cities are full of people. And it's exactly the same with, with road ecology. We are doing this for, the, for human benefits. You know, we, we want to make sure that this works for the people as well. And so we have to understand what the people are talking about. So it was almost a a philosophical lesson in, in order to get anywhere with this, instead of just being agitated and frustrated for the rest of my life, I need to take somebody else's perspective and see what I can understand from why they have their particular perspective and hopefully get across to them my perspective. And when that's done respectfully, it works. And so the, the book has numerous examples of when that works. And it also has a few examples of when it doesn't work, when the people just shout at each other and continue shouting at each other and calling each other names, and it that just doesn't get anywhere.
0: With roads and wildlife all around us, it's up to us to advocate for wildlife in our local communities.
1: What we discovered was the most influential cause of getting the road people to take notice of what we were talking about was through an organised and very informed and very respectful group of local people, so a community group. The only reason Compton Road now exists, the most studied overpass, most successful overpass in the world, was because the Carawatha Protection Society, the local greenies, if you like, really got not just angry, but informed. They learned as much as they possibly could. They did lots of research, and they were really persistent in telling their local politicians and the local road engineers, and the town council, the Brisbane City Council, were responsible for paying for the new road, that there was other ways to do it, they to draw attention to the things that have been done overseas and in other states, but they did it in a cooperative way. So we discovered then the most influential way to get the impact of roads to be taken seriously and the things that road ecology can bring to the table is by being in a well organised and very articulate and very determined community group of some sort. And nearly every place in the world has got those people naturally there. They exist to protect their local patch or whatever it might be. But those organizations can have the biggest effect of a lot. More than more than a scientist running a paper or, you know, or a consultant running a report. Local people who are agitated about their patch and how the road's going to affect them have a bigger impact than just about anybody any other group. Hello, Professor Daryl Jones here from Griffith University. I'm a road ecologist, the author of the new book that's just come out called A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road. If you want to find out about road ecology, you just Google that. But one of the best places to look is at a new thing that we've got going called transportecology, one word, dot info. All the stuff around the world, fantastic place to begin. You can get the book anywhere and I recommend not using Amazon.
0: Thank you to Professor Daryl Jones for his time, and check out his book, A Cloud of Leopard in the Middle of the Road. It's an awesome read. Cats of the Wild is created by me, Andy Varvel. Theme music is by Score Squad. Other music and sound effects from Envato.